feedback. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to welcome you to uh, New City Church this morning. Uh, it's about that time where everyone's going back to school and folks uh, from summer plans start coming back to church um, rather regularly. So if uh, either of that is you or you're just visiting for the first time and checking us out, we'd love to uh, hear from you. So you can fill out a, uh, an information card back on our tables here in the, in, I think they're back by the coffee actually, or you can go online and fill out one of our visitor uh, cards, our connection cards, and we'd love to answer any questions that you have and also be praying for you. Um, so please do that, and, and uh, you can leave those Connect cards in our offering box on your way out. Got a lot going on at the church, especially um, here as we get the fall rolling. The first thing that I wanted to, to mention is um, we have folks up here that lead us in singing, but uh, it says in Scripture that the congregation should be singing, and so I hear you guys really loud, but I would love for us to be able to kind of get the cops called on us because it's so loud in here. Um, that the whole community can hear uh, what's going on in our church. So remember to sing loud and to the Lord and for his glory. Um, we're singing hymns, we're singing psalms, we're singing spiritual songs like it tells us to do in the letter, one of the letters to the Corinthians. So we'd love for you to participate in our congregational singing. A big announcement for me personally, my daughter, my precious Ava Grace Carlson, uh, was engaged to be married about a week ago, a little over a week ago. Right over here. And she is going to be marrying Bryce Van Manen. I think I pronounced that correctly. Is that correct? Ava Van Manen. That sounds pretty good, actually. I like that. Um, but we're grateful for, for Bryce. He's a wonderful young man. And we're uh, grateful for the extra, you know, uh, rifle if, <laughs> if, we, if we need it for any kind of incursions. A little extra soldier in the, in the Army. Um, but we're grateful for, for both of them. Bryce, what's your middle name? Jaron. Jaron? Bryce Jaron Van Manen. It's a lot, but that's cool. It's a lot. Very cool. They're going to be married, hopefully, maybe sometime next summer. We don't know the date, but we will be having kind of a reception or party if our family wants to do for that. I don't know if we'll do it here or at our house or something, but uh, the reason I wanted to mention that, we've mentioned other uh, engagements in the past and hopefully many more to come in the future, but our children literally grew up in this church. I think Hunter was seven years old when we started this church. Uh, Ava was around five or so when we started this church. And the, the love that they've received from you all and uh, the encouragement that they've received from you all has been fantastic. We're very blessed to have this as our church family. And honestly, it's like really cool for me to know that the cultural mandate of taking dominion over the planet is happening through this church by young people getting married and having 10 children each. <laughs> no, maybe? We'll talk later. I love Br Bryce's dad because we were talking. He's on the, he's on the 10 train as well, so we're in unity. Um, but we're grateful for, for all of you, and thank you so much for all your prayers as they uh, prepare for a wedding, hopefully, here in the near future. Um, the next Psalm Supper Sunday is going to be September 3rd, which is next Sunday. It's going to be at the Kuzaba home, so that's out uh, east, no, west of Parker, um, beautiful spot, some areas to, to play around. It's one of those places where you can throw the kids out in the yard and forget about them for about an hour. Hopefully they won't run on to Lincoln Avenue, which is somewhat nearby, but you can, uh, just a lot of room to play and have some fun, but also sing the Psalms together. Bring some of your own food uh, for your family if you'd like to eat, and we'll eat and sing Psalms together. We're going to have a volunteer luncheon. That's for everyone who volunteers at New City Church on September 24th. Uh, I'll talk about uh, volunteers here in a, in a moment. And then our next household meeting is uh, Sunday, September 17th at 9 a.m. here at the church, uh, right back in one of the rooms back here. So love for you to be a part of that. I did make a mistake. Last week's uh, weekly said that the Bee Hill Parish Group would meet on August 27th. That is incorrect. It will be September 17th. So if you are interested in that, it's, um, it's not today. Sorry. Um, but it will be September 17th, so please check that out. Uh, real quick, I want to do a highlight of some volunteer stuff. We, we really would love to have more volunteers, especially our prep crew, which is the folks that set up our chairs once. Uh, you can sign up, I think, once a month to do that. If you wanted to do it as a family, maybe um, some of the, the men and young men could set up the chairs, and then the ladies could work on the coffee. Or if the ladies feel like they want to get a workout in, a little uh, New City CrossFit, 
do some chair work, that would be great as well. But we'd love for you to sign up for at least a week. Maybe your family could uh, volunteer together for a one week of Sunday. Daniel Payan is our prep crew captain. He would love to hear from you, and I'd love for um, us to have that schedule filled out here as we enter the fall. A lot of other things um, that you could volunteer for. Uh, Hunter, my son, is going to kind of be moving in a, a little bit of a different role on Sundays. He's kind of going to be overseeing some of the Sunday stuff behind the scenes and helping with various things. He's also been doing slides and some soundboard stuff. So if you'd like to do slides and soundboard, he can train you uh, minimally, right? You're not a genius uh, expert at that quite yet, but you're getting close. Um, he's learned that on the fly, but we'd love for you to volunteer for some of uh, so, uh, the sound and slides thing as well. So lots of areas to volunteer. We'd love for you to do that. Ladies, moms, I love you so much. You're going to be blessed today. That sounds like an old uh, Southern Baptist thing to say. I've never been Southern Baptist, but I was Baptist. You're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless your socks off today with our time in God's word. So would you stand with me? We're going to read God's word together and then have a time uh, in our sermon. Uh, three passages today that we'll be looking at, so I'll be flipping around a little bit. The first is Ephesians 5.33. It reads this. These are the words of God. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Next passage, 1 Peter 3, 1-6. through 1 Peter 3, 1-6. Excuse me, one second. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then last, Proverbs 14.1. Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word, your word is truth. It is, a, it is a haven in the midst of chaos. It is a harbor in the midst of storms. It is a, a blessing in the midst of curses that surround us. It inspires us, it informs us, it gives us uh, wisdom and understanding. By your Holy Spirit's power, it becomes part of our soul. Our hearts are changed by your word. Your word is not just dry, it is living, it's active, it cuts to the hearts, it convicts us of sin, it challenges us, it encourages us. So I pray, God, today that as we go through um, maybe some times of difficult understanding of the text and challenges of this text, that you would speak to us in a manner that we would relent, we would repent, we would be encouraged, and we would walk out of here changed uh, not because of anything that we can do on our own, but your Holy Spirit has moved and changed us. I pray for those who are struggling with all sorts of difficulties right now, family relationships, uh, illnesses, things um, that are unspeakable, uh, tragedies and difficulties. God, we know that in your providence, whether it be a hard providence or a soft and easy one, God, regardless, we know that you're in control. We can trust you that you love us, that you want us to grow, and that you're taking care of us. We bless your name. We bless this time in your word. We ask that you bless it as well. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. We're continuing this week and finalizing or concluding next week our series in the household and the war for the cosmos. The Household and the War for the Cosmos. Dan, thank you for last week. And uh, as we move forward in this week and next, we're going to talk about moms mostly today. And then we're going to talk about children next week. Oh, children. You guys ready? It's going to be fun. We're going Old Testament children style next week. So make sure you come for that. Uh, we're going to talk about how to honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you. But today, 
I want to focus on moms. We did a little bit on dads a couple weeks back. And I want to start with this. We've talked a lot, especially at the beginning of this series, about the nature of male and female as they were created by God prior to the fall. That God created us naturally prior to the fall to be obedient, but not only obedient, to be joyfully obedient. Children, we'll talk about joyful obedience next week, but even mom and dad struggle with the joyful part of obedience many times. We want to be obedient, but not necessarily do it with a heart that is full of joy. But prior to sin, it was a no-brainer. Like when God created Adam and then from Adam's side created Eve, it was a no-brainer for them to understand that they should live in obedience joyfully to the Lord. It was their worship. It was their life. It was their humanity. It was who they were as people. Paul actually says in Romans 12 that your spiritual act of worship, your spiritual act of worship, meaning the most common sense, logical thing to do, that's literally what the language means, is to present your bodies to Christ It's the only logical thing to do, the only common sense thing to do, the only natural thing to do is to present your bodies to Christ and worship him. Walk with him, be obedient to him. Get back to your your created nature through the power of the Holy Spirit making you a new person. Now, that uh, presentation of our bodies, if we do that, if we're regenerate, if we've made, made new by Christ, it leads to some things. And this is an incredible way to live life. Number one, it leads to spirit empowerment. Paul talks about that, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says that the way to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is to confess your sins, to be a repentant person. Remember, we've said this a thousand times. Paul, when he's first saved, says, I'm a sinner. I need the Lord. Later on in his ministry, he says, I'm a pretty bad sinner. And then at the end of his walk with Christ, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Now, if you want to argue, anybody other than Christ who was the most centered, emotionally stable person who loved the Lord and was a person that you would want to emulate, it was Paul who says, I'm the chief of sinners. I recognize it. I'm not going to fight it anymore. I understand that my thoughts and actions are repugnant to God, that I've sinned against him, and I need to repent, confess, and receive his mercy and his grace. That's spirit empowerment. When you're walking in the spirit, when you're empowered by the spirit, You're gaining in wisdom. That was the second thing here. When we present our bodies, it leads to spirit empowerment and wisdom. How many of you want to be wise? Go ahead, raise your hands. Those of you who didn't raise your hands are very unwise people. Uh, We want to be wise. I want to be wise with my money. I want to be wise with my time. I want to be wise with my family. I want to be wise with my vocation. I want wisdom. The opposite of wisdom, and we'll talk about this at the end of our time, is folly. We'll talk about folly at the end of our time together, but we want wisdom. And when we present our bodies and are empowered by the Spirit, we gain wisdom. Third, we gain understanding. Like when you're 20, you understand the whole world, or at least you think you do. But when you're 50, you really understand. You understood that when you were 20, you didn't understand a thing. Like as you get older and you walk with Christ, you begin to understand the world and his cosmos and his glory operates a particular way. And when you realize it and it gets ingrained in your heart and in your soul, you become a person of understanding that God is at work. He is king of kings and lord of lords. There is nobody like him. And your life becomes a very simple but a powerful understanding of who God is and what he's doing in the planet. Last, you get joyful obedience. Many other things you get, but joyful obedience. Unjoyful obedience is a sign of a person that is trifling with their relationship with God. It's a person who is maybe saved, uh, but saved as if through fire or saved by, as my dad used to put it, by the skin of their teeth. He used to tell me stories of guys he knew, but those guys are saved, but by the skin of their teeth, barely saved, not joyful. Not, not happy, not uh, a person who's walking with Christ in joy, but when you put your body on the, the altar and you sacrifice it as the only logical thing to do to Christ, you have joyful obedience. Now, in marriage and in family, when we get saved, we have new desires, new attitudes, new thoughts that are Christ-centered and joyfully obedient. Now, I didn't have a radical change in my life in some of those things because I was raised in a Christian home. And I saw joyful obedience many times. 
it was, it was more like a natural thing. Did you know that right over here we got a couple young couples going to be married soon? They get to carry on that legacy. They grew up in Christian homes, and they're going to further that legacy for Christ in joyful obedience to him because Christ is at the center. It's the logical thing to do. You get married, you have kids, you raise them up. They live in joy, in a joyful obedience to Christ. Now we get to our passages today, and it says in Scripture that husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for it. Christ laid his life down for the church, and husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ did that. Do you know... I, I remember things sometimes in a pop culture kind of mentality. This is what that basically means. No more Jerry Seinfelds, okay? No more selfish, New York living, apartment singles, walking around just having the time of their life, not sacrificing for anything, but expecting everything to be sacrificed for them. They're just going to go to the bar. They're going to go to the, the club. They're going to do whatever, but they're living my best life now and putting off the God-ordained relationship of husband and father. And I'm not talking about father in a biological reality, but a life of sacrifice to lead, be the head of your family as Christ heads the church. No more Jerry Seinfelds. Wives, it also says in the passage, to submit to your husbands. Another pop culture reference, no more Mary Tyler Moores. Anybody know what that is? You guys aren't with me today. No more Mary Tyler Moore. This is Mary Tyler Moore. I think she was single. I didn't watch the show very much because it irritated me, even as a young person. This was a show a long time ago, but it was a single, feminist, career-driven woman and honestly, she seemed happy, but I don't think she was very happy. And she was building a corner on the roof. This type of woman would build a corner on the roof of your house to have your husband live there. And you train the husband to behave in the way that you wish. We're going to talk a little bit about some of that today. But we talked about how wives, to submit to your husbands, it's no more Mary Tyler Moore. It's getting in tune with what God says a woman and wife and mother should be. Children, as I said, next week, you're going to love Pastor Aaron because we go in Old Testament, kiddos. Guys, read some Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Don't read Numbers. It's kind of, well, read Numbers, but we're not going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about some other Old Testament stuff. But today, again, more about moms today as we get into dads and moms part two, or as Rambo put it, bought do. Okay, I'm trying. Thank you, right over here. Um, part two, yeah. So last couple weeks ago, we talked about dads. Now, I could talk about dads from Scripture for a long time. We could do like years and years of series on dads. We could do years and years of series on moms. We could do it all. We could just keep going over because Scripture is replete with information and teaching on moms and dads. But I wanted to focus in particular on what I think I see as a sin in the church, in our culture, that fathers struggle with, and we've talked about it last time, I want to review it a little bit because it leads into moms. It says in Scripture, fathers, don't exasperate your children, and it's contrasted with raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, another word for admonition is fear of the Lord. So in Scripture, it says don't exasperate, but also raise in the fear of the Lord. Is that paradoxical? I think not. One of those is you being God, dads, and the other is God being God. I prefer God being God. It will go much smoother for you in life if you prefer God being God rather than you being God and exasperating your children. Now, there, there again is a lot that we could discuss on fatherhood, and we did a little bit a couple weeks ago. Continue to read your scriptures and know, dads, how to become a greater and greater dad. But this is becoming, this sin of exasperating your children has become a greater and greater sin in our age and in the church. And it's finding this godly path of nurture and admonition. I believe it to be a big struggle. And we talked about how to overcome that struggle a couple weeks back. Check that uh, sermon out online if you'd like. Now, ladies, here we go. What are the biggest struggles for mom? I'm going to alliterate. I alliterate four times a year. Okay, so today is alliteration number four. I won't alliterate until January 1st, okay? 
Biggest struggles for mom. I'm going to say these, and you might think, well, really? I don't think so. But let me explain why I say this. The biggest struggles for mom are feminism and feelings that are out of control. That's the biggest struggles for mom. Feminism and feelings that are out of control. Now, yes, there is also a lack in women's lives, like uh, men's lives, of godly examples and instruction on what it looks like to be a woman. Ladies, do you know in Titus chapter 2 it says that you are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. Titus chapter 2. So we at our church are wanting to overcome that lack of godly examples and instruction. I get it. That is a reality. Yet I would say at the root of feminism and especially feelings being out of control is a heart of rebellion and a trust in self especially in being a wife and especially maybe in motherhood. Now, what does this have to do, um, the, the feminism feeling, what does it have to do with motherhood? A lot. I believe those two things are rooted in a lack of respect and submission to the husband. And because of that, that is probably the biggest contributor from the wife's side to a dysfunctional home and potentially dysfunctional children. Which leads me to Ephesians 5.33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this is going to sound a little bit like a sermon we've done in the past, but I want to relate it to motherhood. And I believe that an application of this passage as we do some of the exegesis of it, I think you can apply it in a way that helps with being a mom. And I'll connect those here in a moment. Moms, are you ready to hear what respect means? The Greek word is phobio, fear, literally reverence, that you are to have a reverence of your husband, a fear not in the physical sense that he's stronger than you, but yes, that is true that there is a, not a a fear per se, but a respect that your husband is stronger, can defend you, can keep you secure, provide for you, wrap his uh, arms around you and make you feel safe, secure, and, and included and loved in the family. But reverence, reverence, it's the same word used in another New Testament passage, 2 Corinthians 5.11, doesn't have to do necessarily with, uh, with um, uh, husbands and wives or moms or dads, but it does say fear of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5.11, and it's talking about fearing, revering the Lord. Same word used. Revere your husband and underneath revering the Lord. So revere the Lord and then revere your husband underneath that. Now, this is... Uh, sadly, I got to get into this because we live in a culture of caveat and nuance. Those are French words for I don't know what they mean, but I'm going to do it anyway. I got a caveat and nuance. Let me say this, ladies, you know this. Your husband is not the capital L Lord. He's the small L Lord. We'll talk about there when we get to first Peter. Uh, he's not the Lord. And guess what? We've had decades of jokes about husbands and fathers that they're not perfect. Some of the jokes would say he's basically subhuman. You've seen them on TV. Maybe you married a person that you thought was what was reflected on TV. And so your lack of respect or reverence for your husband is rooted in just decades of jokes about husbands and fathers and what God created them to be. So I know your husband is not the Lord. I've seen them, I've talked to them, I know many husbands, and and they're not the Lord, capital L. Guess what? You could ask my family this. I'm not the Lord, capital L. Yeah, we know. We see it every Sunday, okay? I'm not the Lord, capital L. But, according to this passage, you are called to phobeo him, respect and revere him. Let me tell you what the English means for reverence or respect deferential honor. Deferential means you place aside your view of how things should be. You place aside how you want to treat your husband and you defer to an honoring and revering of him uh, in spite of maybe who he is. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. It means to be worthy of great honor. Can you treat your husband, ladies, as he is worthy of great honor? 
Or is he just someone that provides food and clothing or maybe is a, is a helpful companion from time to time, but there's no, uh, there's no worthy of great honor understanding or there's no feeling that this human being, this husband that I have is worthy of great honor. This father to my children is worthy of great honor. But he, some of you would say this, you don't understand, Pastor Aaron. Actually, you wouldn't call me pastor because right now you're mad at me. You don't understand, you uh, misogynistic Aaron, okay, whatever you want to call me. My husband is not worthy of great honor. Can I give you a secret? I know. I know. I've been around uh, husbands enough to know that they're maybe from time to time and maybe a lot of the time not worthy of great honor. I know from time to time maybe I've not been worthy of great honor. Well, let me um, take you to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, and I'm going to skip to the, the bottom here, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what you're to do. Maybe I'll start with verse 1, and then we'll go to the bottom. What you do with husbands who you feel are not worthy of great honor. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some... Do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Don't understand, Pastor Aaron. He's not worthy of great honor. I get it. First Peter chapter 3 says, it doesn't matter. Even if some husbands slash bums... Uh, some are bums. I'm not afraid to say it. The Bible calls them out as well. Husbands, you can drop the ball. You can be a bum. Um, I, I know bum husbands. I, I've seen bum husbands. Many husbands from time to time have been bums. But even if your husband is in the Greek bum, by the way, Greek, uh, the Greek word bum means bum in English, okay? Um, you can win them over, not to yourself, but to the Lord, you can win them over to be husbands that are obeying the word. That's the implication of the passage. They can be won by a few things it says in this passage, revering them as husbands. Let's go back to revere. What does it mean? To consider them worthy of great honor. You can consider them worthy of great honor. Uh, second thing that you can do to win them is leading them to Christ through your respectful and pure conduct. It leads to winning them over. Now, some of you are like, what does this have to do with motherhood? Well, I'm going to get there when I, when I can. But I want to give you a little example. Uh, yesterday, I was, you know, surfing through um, some TV stuff. And <laughs> there was this, there's this movie. It was like Machine Gun Preacher. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Post-millennialism is true. Everything's getting better. They're making movies about machine guns and preachers combined. How good can it be? I wouldn't recommend that you watch this movie because there are some parts that are, are a little bit, um, shall we say, uh, rated higher than you so are. Okay. However, I decided to watch the movie. Of course, tried to skim the bad parts because I was intrigued. Machine gun preacher. It's about this guy who's uh, this motorcycle gang derelict, druggy. He goes to jail, to prison for who knows what, and he gets out of prison. And while he was in prison, his wife became a follower of Jesus Christ. She became a Jesus, you could even say freaks, like she was radically sold out to Christ. He was coming out of jail bitter, angry, sinful, derelict. Like he was going to go back straight to the motorcycle gang. As a matter of fact, in the movie, and I think this is true because it's based on a true story about a, a guy named Sam Childers who went to Africa, and that's why they call him the machine gun preacher, started an orphanage. They would be attacked by these bad dudes, and he would take out the machine gun to defend these little kids in his orphanage. But before that, uh, he goes home, and, he, and he's with his, his wife, and he's becoming uh, kind of in, uh, back ingratiated into the family. And before he went to jail, his wife was a stripper at the local stripper place. And he was angry that she wasn't working there because she made so much money. 
And he gets really verbally abusive in one of the scenes, and I think this is actually accurate historically, but he gets really abusive to her. And you know what her response was? Respectful and pure conduct. And over a period of time, she leads through her respectful, even in spite of maybe some verbal abuse, and we'll talk about that, I'll caveat that in a moment, but he, he, she leads him to Christ. You see it in this very uh, verbally abusive scene. She respectfully and purely conducts herself with him and wins him over to Christ. Here we go, caveat. Abuse is sinful. Abuse is sinful, gentlemen. Physical abuse is unlawful, and we will deal with it as a church, and the authorities will deal with it as they're supposed to do according to God's word. Not encouraging abuse. I'm saying that in this abusive relationship, this woman with pure and righteous and reverent conduct won her husband to Christ. Ladies, reverence of your husband is called for even if he is a bum who does not obey the word. So what does that have to do with motherhood? You know, your children learn more from you by watching how you act than hearing the words that you say. They, they learn from how you act more than the words that you say. If your children see respectful and pure conduct, your children will know what it means to revere the authorities in their lives. God, number one. The earthly father, number two, and you as their mother. You are an authority in their lives. If they see you acting in respectful and pure ways, in submissive ways, in ways that you're called to do, respect, reverence, uh, all those words that we've talked about here, they will know what it means to revere the authorities in their life. They will see that there is no way out. The only way for them to go is to revere God, number one, and to revere mom and dad, number two, as it talks about in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that, and then Jesus says it again in the New Testament. We'll talk about that next week, more on that next week. There is no way out. They can't, the children can't manipulate the situation in their favor. They love, by the way, children to do this. Do you guys know why? Because they're incredibly little uh, wicked sinners. Love them. Like I high five them all, give them a hug. But children, how many of you are sinners? Oh, see, they raise their hands faster than the adults. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> they know. They love to do that. They love to sin. It's in their nature. Now, when they're saved, of course, they have a new nature given to them, and they want to, in their souls, that God has changed them to want to love and serve and honor their parents. But they love to also, at times, manipulate because they are sinners. We'll talk about that more next week. But if they see mom respectfully and purely conducting herself, even with a bum, they learn there are boundaries, and those boundaries are holy and lawful boundaries. Those are boundaries for their blessing and joy. That's straight out of the Old Testament. Honor, revere, respect father and mother, and it will go well with you. Children, moms, if you create a respectful and pure conduct home in conjunction, hopefully, with your husband who's not a bum, who is actually wanting to follow the Lord and you are in unity with him. We'll talk about that uh, towards the end of our time. But your children will learn what it means to honor, revere, and respect their father and their mother so it will go well with them. The result of respect is honor. Another word for honor is glory. Training your children to do what they were created to do to honor and glorify the Lord is seen in the marriage of mom and dad and it translates to their trajectory in life. So husbands, I'll say this to you. Make this easier on your wife by not being a bum. And again, the Greek for bum is bum, okay? How can you not be a bum, gentlemen? Submerse yourself in the life of the church. There are some guys here that love you enough to take you to the woodshed. They'll have strong conversations with you. I know because I've seen them. I've heard them. Some of them maybe have had from time to time strong conversations with me. Immerse yourself in the life of church. Obey the word by reading it, confessing your sins, obeying what God has to say, and then repeat. 
Husbands, you can make this a lot easier on your wife, and you're called to do so. We've talked about that in many sermons, specifically a couple weeks back. But feminism is a cancer rooted in rebellion, and it will rot your marriage and motherhood because it will rot your heart and God's created design for man and woman, dad and mom. What about our feelings? Okay, this is the fun part of the sermon. I'm going to be your therapist. Would you like an English accent or what kind of, anybody, English? Okay, Scottish, Scottish accent. They don't sound very therapeutic. I'm going to be your therapist for a moment. Ladies, I understand you have feelings. I do. They are apparently special and different than any other person's feelings on the planet. They are yours and I validate them and I validate that reality. But in all seriousness, ladies, I don't want to negate them. God has given you them for a purpose. God has given men, of course, feelings and emotions. But it says in Scripture that it may be harder for women to self-control their feelings more than men. They may be more deceived. They may be more um, inclined. And I'm not saying in every instance, but they may be more inclined to think with their Heart, not the heart that is spoken of in Scripture, but their, their emotions. And I don't want to negate your emotions, but they must be dealt with in light of God's truth. They must be dealt with in light of God's truth. Uh, a little caveat, and I really got to do a, a sermon or maybe a Christ and culture lecture on this. It's so weird that Christians, instead of going to God's word and God's people, are going straight to secular therapy. Um, it's a sermon for another time, but it is a really scary trend. And I've heard this a lot from ladies, especially from wives that the first thing they're telling their fellow women to do when they're having issues is to go to therapy. Like they use the word now. It's not even something that they, they bat an eye at. It's, uh, go, go to therapy, seek therapy. You need to go to secular therapy for that. Now, women statistically are seeking therapy and drugs at record levels. So are men, by the way. But women especially are seeking therapy and drugs at record levels. And the most, uh, that I, uh, most of them that I talk to are so far down the road of rejecting God's word and what it would say to them in this particular circumstance that it's hard to even reason with them that God's word is sufficient in all things of life. I, I would be on this page, however. There may be need, a need for medical intervention at times. But I think a lot of times we reject God's word, we reject his design, and we go looking for cheap substitutes. And we go looking for cheap stuff. You know what God calls cheap substitutes in the Old Testament? Idols. Do you know what else he calls them? Whores. They, they don't love you, these substitutes, these idols, these whores. They don't love you. They, in fact, hate you, and they lead you to trust in yourself rather than others. And so I say again, ladies and gentlemen, but to uh, particular moms, ladies, wives, you can't negate your feelings, but you must deal with them in light of God's truth. Now, I said a lot there. Please come and talk to me if you want clarification on what I would say about therapy and God's word and the sufficiency of scripture and all these things that might be coming up as questions in your minds, but we go to secular therapy to find another way to deal with feelings rather than trusting God's word and his provision. And again, coming back full circle, it's many times a rejection of authority and repentance. Now, what can all that lead to again, in terms of motherhood, Proverbs 14, one, you know, the Proverbs are written in such a way that it's not like a, a one big section of, a, of, a, of content that is one. It's little Proverbs. It's individual things that you can look at, read for wisdom. And one of the ones that my, my mom used to read to herself, and I would hear her talk about this from time to time, was Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with their own hands, tears it down. Ladies, motherhood is building a house. It's building a house. 
I'm not talking about decorating, although, man, do I love the fact that our house is decorated. If it was up to me and those two bums in the back, I love you guys. Like, we'd have NASCAR flags, UFC, you know, what are the things that you, the big plastic things that you can place on your wall? What are those things called? Like your favorite sports star? There'd be holes in the wall from wrestling matches. I mean, decorating, actually, ladies, I'm, I'm being serious. It's a really important part of your creativity that God has given you to help build a home. Cooking food is a great way to help build a home. A lot of the practical things that you think about home building is, is part of what it means to build a house in wisdom. And you're building a strong house now. It's not just the practical things, but it's nurturing your children to A, love the Lord, to revere the Lord, and to revere mom and dad so that it will go well with them. So you're building a strong house now, but this is so critically important. It's a legacy of strong houses for the future. You're doing that, ladies. Moms, you're doing that. You're building a house. It's a house that's built in wisdom or it's a house built in folly. And not only will it reverberate in this time and place, it will reverberate for generations. I don't mean to put that much pressure on you, but it's pressure that's under the providence of God, able to be withstood because you seek wisdom. It's your part of the dominion slash cultural mandate to go and take over the world for the glory and name of Christ. You get to do that. Again, I, I know that many ladies love house stuff. I just call it house stuff. Like my wife will come up and she'll say, what do you think of this painting? Hey, man, that's house stuff. Your department. Well, do you like this recipe? Hey, man, it goes down good, but that's house stuff. Um, do, you, do you like uh, your kids? That's more house. No, I actually. Yeah. <laughs> but you love those kids. Like last night, oh, Precious Lily, love you. He's a big boy. He can probably take me. Can you take me yet? Yes? Okay. Well, I'm standing up here, and you can't do it now, so we'll have to wait later. But last night, uh, my son is dog-sitting at a friend's home, and um, he wanted his mommy to come over and watch a football game with him while he dog-sat the dogs. And mom, she's dropped everything. She just loves that little E. What are some of your nicknames for little E? E-dogger. She's right now, she's doing this. She loves that E-dogger. She wants to nurture that E-dogger. She, Hunter, yeah, she could, no, she really wants to, she'll like get him food and get his favorite snacks and just, you know, all of it. Bryce, see what you got to look forward to. Married into a family, you're gonna get an extra mom to love and nurture you. Most of that stuff comes naturally. Wisdom includes that and additional things. Wisdom literally means cleverness, experience, and skill. Cleverness, experience, and skill. Maybe especially with your daughters, but certainly with your sons. Like, you, you need to have that practical stuff going. Like, you need to be able to run a business like the Proverbs 31 woman. A house is a business. C.R. Wiley talks about that when you talk about man of the house. The house is a unit of economic force. Not just economic meaning money, but a force of, of, of vitality, of, of moving forward. You need to be good with money. You need to be good with the practical needs of the home, with your husband and your children. You also, wisdom would include creativity and love. Like, I knew my mom loved me by the way she cooked, man. Like, especially shepherd's pie. Like, if you ever had Louise shepherd's pie? That was the ultimate food. Like we would say, like after church, all of the children would say, hey, we want to go out to eat. We lived in Nessus Park. There was one restaurant in town called the Mountaineer. And they had basically one thing, meatloaf, canned gravy, and canned mashed potatoes. And we thought that was awesome. But then my dad would say, oh, no, we ain't going out to eat. We're going to Luigi's Casserole Hut. And then I remember, oh, yeah, Luigi's Casserole Hut. Casseroles, woo, shepherd's pie. That's awesome. She loved us. She cooked for us. She cooked, when I come home as an adult, the spread was magnificent. Like it was all Swedish stuff. You guys would hate it. 
stuff like ustakaka, emphasis on the kaka, okay? <laughs> potato scorb, potato scorb, potato sausage, right? Love potato sauce. She would just, she loved to create a nice, beautiful home and to cook us great food. Don't let that love diminish, moms. But also I'd say this, don't let it become folly. You think with your heart, you, you allow your heart and your feelings to take over. You allow those things to run amok. It can lead to folly and it can get in the way of wisdom and God's way. Your feelings can run amok and if they do, it will become folly and folly will tear your house down. Now I get it, motherhood is hard. It's a curse that is child, uh, that child rearing will be extremely painful. It's not just talking about the birth of the child. It's talking about raising and seeing the child. Some of you sitting here today have had painful experiences, even with your young children, your middle-aged children, and your adult children. It has been painful. You feel it in your bones sometimes. But you can't let your feelings run amok. The folly of that will tear your house down. And I'll say this, uh, as I was writing the sermon, I remember the hymn, God's word abideth still. God's word abideth still. See, that's the antidote to feelings run amok. That's the antidote to fully, uh, folly and foolishness is God's word. It's wisdom. It's, it's the fear of the Lord. It's the reverence for God and your husband. It's working as one. God's word abideth still even when your feelings seem to be betraying you. I want to spend a little bit more time on the application of this because I think that is critical for how to be a great Godly, biblically functioning mom. Number one, respect your husband. Isn't that weird? Like I thought being a great mom was, you know, going to Target to get the back to school sale, all that stuff. So it's Spider-Man lunchbox and those things are important. I loved it when my mom came home with my, my lunchbox for the year. Spider-Man. Actually, they had Fat Albert back in those days. That was a favorite cartoon of mine. I loved that lunchbox. Um, I love that stuff. But more important than all that stuff is respecting your husband, revering and honoring him. You know what it says in that passage in 1 Peter? Sarah called her husband Lord, small l. Her reverence for him. Now remember Abraham, he pimped out his wife. That same woman said, I revere you. I honor you. You are worthy of great honor, so much so that late in life she called him small L Lord. Revere and honor your husband. And, and in doing so, don't be manipulated to have anything or anyone come in between your marriage, including your children. Now, gentlemen, this cuts both ways. Some of you are under the thumb of your maybe your daughter or one of your ch uh, children, one of your sons, like you really like them and you're going to take their side, but you can't, you, can't, you can't be manipulated by anything or anyone to come in between your marriage. Moms, ladies, wives, never undermine your husband in front of your children. I would go so far as to say that is wickedness. It is a grievous sin. It will tear the house down faster than many other things that you could experience, tensions, problems in marriage. It, it's reminiscent of Satan speaking to Eve saying, did God really say? If your husband is wrong, talk to him in private, gently counsel him, and allow him to repent in front of the children if necessary. Respect your husband by never undermining him in front of your kids. Respect your husband by not quarreling with your husband in front of your children. You know what a quarrelsome wife is described as in, in the Proverbs is the woman who pushes her husband to the corner of the rooftop. If you push him far enough, he might jump. <laughs> Doesn't say that in the text. He might jump. You know what jumping looks like? Jumping means... And this is a sin on his part. Abdicating 
his role as father and husband in the marriage. Quitting. Ladies, it's not right for him to quit. It's not right for him to abdicate. It's not right. That's a sin on his part. But you can push him to that, especially if you're quarreling with him, and especially if you're quarreling with him in front of your children. Quarrelsomeness trains children to be quarrelsome, and they begin to choose sides. Mom, dad, mom, dad, mom, dad. It's disrespectful. Respect your husband. Secondly, don't work the back channels. That's kind of a guy thing to say. Um, you know what the back channels are? The back channels are trying to get your kids on your side. Let me say this very explicitly. I kind of alluded to it earlier. You are on your husband's side and your children's side. And most importantly, you're on God's side. And sin will try to make you and your children choose teams. It is really, really wicked. It is especially a sin that I see more maybe in moms, but it can also be dads doing this. Well, it is a really, really wicked sin to get your children to choose sides. Really wicked. I, I can think of some more words to say, but I'm going to try to keep this somewhat PG. I may have already crossed that boundary. Don't work the back channels. Don't gossip. Don't slander. And don't backbite your husband in secret meetings to disparage him. I would say the same. That's true for men. Don't gossip, slander, and backbite your wife in secret meetings with your children to disparage them. Galatians 5.15 talks about backbiting. Uh, talks about biting and devouring. And basically it says this, bite and devour and then see what happens. It says, you will be consumed. What that really means is you'll lose, you'll lose not only the outward family, but you'll lose your heart in the family. You'll lose your connection. You will tear the house down. And as it says in Proverbs 25, 23, you will stir up strife and anger. And your kids are watching. Third, be unified in your plan and execution of parenting. Dads, this starts with you. Do you have a plan? Do you have an understanding of what biblical discipline looks like? If so, are you on the same page, mom and dad together on the same page for discipline? And is that plan being executed and guys, when I say words like that, I'm really scared because some of you are like, we shall execute our plan. <laughs> you wife, you mom, you shall execute the plan. The plan is perfect. I made it to myself. I have 14 pages of Excel spreadsheets with the plan. You agree to it, you will do it. Please don't, please. Please don't do that. It should be a plan that has some joy in it. Has a plan that is not just this German engineered, you know, uh, Volkswagen streaming down the Autobahn in pure excellence. Okay? Like ha have, a, have a little bit of leeway in the plan. But the plan should include discipline. And it's okay, moms, to spank your kids. Now, dad is the primary disciplinarian, but he is not omnipresent, as you may well know, especially when the trash needs to go out. He seems to be like way gone, okay? Okay? He can't be there all the time, but if you're the one saying, well, I just want your dad to do it because I love you so much. You're such a wonderful little special creature. Me, me and your mind tells you that, ladies, say, sinner. Okay? Wonderful little creature and sinner, okay? They may be wonderful, but you got to tell yourself, you need to help with the discipline. You need to spank your children. You know what? If you have first-time obedience and spanking your children for appropriate sins without anger, both mom and dad, without anger, spanking children for appropriate sins that need to be spanked for, and you do that before they're three years old, you might never spank them again. Some of them's obstinate. We're going to talk to them next week. I want to see uh, like a thousand 12-year-olds in here next week. We're going to have a chat. We're going to get down to business, OT style, okay? Kids, you're going to love it. Your eyes are going to be this big when you're walking out. I can't believe he said that. <laughs> and the parents might be like, I can't believe he said that. High five. 
You'd be high-fiving each other. It's okay, Mom, to spank your kids. Do it in love. Do it according to God's word. There's lots of teaching on how to spank your children as a Christian appropriately. The Canon Plus app that some of you have or, or books on it. If you need advice or counsel from that, myself or many other fathers in this room can help you with that. But have a plan. Execute it in a loving and joyful way. And it's okay, Mom, to spank your kids. You see, oneness includes being one at all times, not just when it's comfortable or convenient. It's being unified. It's being one flesh together working at this thing called parenting with dad as head of household, with mom revering and honoring her husband, showing her children how to revere and honor God and mom and dad and the authorities that God has placed over them appropriately and biblically. Man, that's a special mom. That's a special mom. Now, moms, I would say this. Some of you, I get it, man. You're upset right now. Maybe you're even angry at me. Like, I, I get it. I said some, somewhere this week, though, I got the skin of an armadillo. Like, please be angry with me. In your anger, do not sin. If you have an issue with anything I've spoken today, come and talk to me personally. I'd love to, I'd love to chat with you. I would love for you to chat with your husband first. And maybe in that chat with your husband, you're going to realize, as he has and should, you've wronged God. You've wronged God. And maybe, husband and wife and mom and dad, you've wronged each other. And maybe, mom and dad, you've wronged your children. And maybe it's been years of wronging each other. But I will say this. God's grace is sufficient for you. Paul was slaughtering Christians. David was committing adultery and murdering one of his close uh, confidants. Abraham was pimping out his wife. God's grace is sufficient for you. And he died on a cross to show that his grace is sufficient for you. He died on a cross that if you'll come to him and receive him as Lord and Savior, and then as you sin, because there is no one without sin, if we, call, um, if we say we're uh, without sin, we call God a liar, he'll forgive any sin. The only sin that he won't forgive is rejecting him until you die. If you're saved by Jesus Christ, he can forgive you of any sin that you've committed. And he asks you to repent, which means to confess your sin to him, to change your ways, to get more biblically sound in your motherhood, to begin to honor and revere your husband. And guess what? The bomb might become a stud. Those are biblical terms in the Greek. Because of your righteous and reverent and pure conduct. And I got to say it, there is joy and blessing on the horizon. We come to this table to remember that Jesus, when he died, said that there is joy and blessing on the horizon. And he rose from the grave. And when you receive him as Lord and Savior, he makes you new. He regenerates you. He sanctifies you. And he's bringing you to glory. And for a thousand generations, if you build your house wisely under the direction and admonition and fear of the Lord and reverence for your husband and love of your children and controlling your disrespect of authority, repenting of it as sin, controlling your emotions under God's spirit and his holy word, man, you will build, you will build a legacy with your husband that will be full of joy and blessing. It may come next generation. It may come generations from now. You might get to receive a little bit of it, but that's enough. Being saved is enough. Beginning to build, even though it might be a little, is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. When you come to the table today, confess your sin and leave knowing that God has forgiven you He's empowered you to do everything that he's called you to do. Let's pray. Father God, we love the moms in this room, and we love the dads in this room. Most importantly, we love you. It says that the great commandment is to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. Sometimes I read that and I think what you have for us in blessing and legacy 
is absolutely going to blow our minds. When we obey you and when we walk with you, the blessings that you have for us are going to blow our minds. It may be blessings on this earth, but it certainly is the blessing of being made holy and righteous and worshiping and serving you forever. Whatever the sins are that have so easily entangled us, we confess them. We, we call for confession of them before we come to your table so that we would receive the bread representing your body and the wine or the juice representing your blood. We would receive them in a worthy manner. God, you love us enough that you will root out our rebellion. You love us enough that you will root out our sin and you love us enough that you will, in our repentance, bless us and keep us and give us peace. We're thankful for all these promises. We bless this communion table in Jesus' name. Amen.